Well, Happy New Year to uh, many of you that uh, weren't with us last, we- uh, last week when we were here on New Year's Eve. Um, we are thankful that the Lord has blessed us with another opportunity in t- 2024 to be together as a church body and to learn from His Word and to focus on the truths of His Word. And I'm excited to be back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to finish up this chapter today. And um, it's a a beautiful message today, a message of hope. Um, As we uh, think about this upcoming year, we can focus on the the hope that we have in Christ and uh, the hope of uh, the Lord doing a a work in us, um, not only this upcoming year, but until Christ returns. Um, You are familiar with the passage, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I want you to think about this afternoon. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You and I right now are on a journey as believers in Jesus Christ, whereby God is molding and shaping us to perfection. A perfection that will come in the day of Jesus Christ. So if I can illustrate this this afternoon, um, many of you... Uh, fathers and grandfathers here uh, coming off of the Christmas holiday can probably relate to the great tedious task of putting together some wooden kitchen for your daughters or granddaughters the days leading up to Christmas. If you aren't familiar with this process, these type of uh, assembly units come with about a 50-page manual with Every screw and bolt that is labeled with little stickers that typically come off in the process. So you got, you know, bolt AB7429, and then you have, you know, a a myriad of bolts and a myriad of pieces. And through the process, which is daunting and uh, difficult and frustrating, you begin to see as you're putting these pieces together, uh, this form take shape. And then you get to the end and you are like celebrating that this piece of furniture that you've assembled on Christmas Eve, most likely, is done and your children will find great joy and celebration in it. Well, I bring you that that illustration this afternoon because the Apostle Paul wants us to think about that in in relationship to uh, the process of sanctification by which we are on as in a journey in our faith in Christ. Matter of fact, he uses a word in the Greek language in our passage multiple times today, and it's the Greek word meros, which means a part or a piece. Okay? So I want you to imagine your den floor is surrounded by all these pieces that go to your uh, assembly that, uh, that, that you project that you're trying to put together. And each one of those pieces represents the Christian journey and the life that you're uh, going on and you're, you're journeying to co- uh, completion or perfection. Each one of those pieces in and of themselves is necessary. And each one of those pieces, though, do not make up the whole. They are not the whole in themselves. They are pieces to the final puzzle or the final um, uh, assembled, uh, assembled project. Well, in the same way, our Christian faith, we are on this journey. And I love the way that Paul concludes this chapter because he's gone through these detailed descriptions of what godly love is. 
all descriptions that we have been challenged by as Christians. Where we've considered what it means to be uh, someone who long suffers. And God used these messages through these chapter to mold and shape us. To mold and shape us in holiness and godliness. Why? Because we're all on a journey. We're all on this journey of grace to be the person that Christ has called us to be, and He will complete that in the end. And we celebrate that. And this final message in chapter 13 is kind of like a message like, don't lose hope, because Christ is coming. It's a message of hope. It's a message of looking to the end and knowing that in the end, as the the sermon is titled, love outlasts everything else. Because the, because heaven itself and all eternity is built upon the character of God, which is love. The attribute of love. And that's what Paul's message is to the Corinthians. He's saying, look, in the end, all these spiritual gifts that you have prized as so wonderful and great, in the end, they fade away. All earthly things fade away. All accomplishments fade away. But in the end, when the perfect comes, as he says, love lasts. Love will be what ushers us into eternity and it will represent the kingdom by which we will live and dwell. And so we're going to look at these uh, verses, these final verses, uh, as a message of hope today. And I hope that you're encouraged by them to know that Christ is coming again, to know that Christ, um, when He returns, we will be uh, perfected. And all the things that we fail in, all the things that we are incl- com- we were incomplete in, they will b- be brought to fruition and completion and totality. And for that, we are uh, most grateful and most thankful. So let's first look at uh, what, what I call eternal love praised. That Paul wants to focus on the fact that love will last to the end and beyond into eternity. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, love never fails. But if there's the gift of prophecy, it's done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophecy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. The word partial there, the pieces. The place in which we live between Christ's first and second coming, we live in the partial. We're not a whole yet. We're not in the completedness or the, as the consummation, as we would call it, where Christ will come again and consummate and complete what He has started. But when He comes, that partial, He says, will be done away with. Now, depending on your translation, what Paul is saying here is you have love never ends or love never fails. You could say that this is the final characteristic or detail about love. We've looked at it being long-suffering. We've looked at it being uh, one that's a, a love of kindness and forgiving and so on and so forth. This final one is that it's everlasting. Love outlasts all other things. And that's important for us because what Paul is telling us is that love continues beyond this time temporally but he's also given us this qualitative state that not only does it, does it last beyond uh, this world into eternity, but it's also in a qualitative sense, love is rooted in the character and the power of God that is victorious over all things that we face on this earth. 
It's the very character of God that we cling to because as uh, Jonathan Edwards says, it's the fountain in heaven, a fountain of love. That's what heaven will permeate, the very love of God. And see, what this entails then is a, a church like Corinth who has put earthly things ahead of the primary aspect of God's kingdom, which is love. They said, oh no, gifts are more important. But the problem is, is that those gifts led to division in the church. And Paul's saying, no. We, you need to understand that Christ has displayed victory over sin, victory over death. It's the very personification of love in, in Himself. Therefore, we need to understand that love lasts. It outlasts all earthly things. And so Paul will make the comparisons to these gifts that he's been mentioning, and he will continue to, to, to discuss in chapter 14. He says eternal love will outlast these gifts, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of tongue, the gifts of knowledge. All of these things, he says, are temporary. They are in part, as he says in verse 8. Gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If, if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. Why? Because it serves a purpose here, but then it ceases when Christ comes again. When we think about prophecy and, and tongues and knowledge, they all are surrounding the revelation of God, right? They all, they all help us understand in the church in Corinth that there was a sense in which these were aspects of the, of, of the revelation of God. So that we could, so that they could know God and they could understand Him. That, that was their purposes. And, and what he's saying is, but their, their purposes were, were futile. They were temporary. Because when the perfect comes, he says, all the partial will be done away with. There won't be need for it anymore. Why? Because when Christ comes again, we won't be incomplete. We will be complete. We will be looking at Him face to face. And so what, what we're seeing is, is, is Paul is laying forth this eschatological hope of looking to the last time when Christ comes again and into eternity and saying, dwell on these things. Dwell on them. Right now, we live in the partial. We're living in the age where things are not yet complete. When the kingdom has not yet fully come, Christ has ushered in His kingdom in His, in His inauguration, but then there's the consummation. When He comes again to rule and reign for all eternity. And this is what Paul's thinking about. That we live between this time, the first and second coming of Christ. And therefore, we must set our eyes forward, keeping His second coming always on our mind. That we are living in this time, but we can look to the forward to when He comes again and find hope. Find hope because His love displays His power and His power represents His victory. In our current state, Paul says our knowledge is partial. Prophecy is partial. It's not complete or exhaustive. This is what Job said in Job 11 verses 7 and 8. He says, can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? 
When we think about understanding the truths of, of God and, and as He's revealed to them, we understand that we are incomplete and imperfect in even understanding them. Right? We all struggle to know God's Word. And in our spiritual growth, we are maturing in understanding God's Word. But imagine the day that Christ comes again, the difference between our struggle of knowing God's revealed Word and seeing Christ face to face. I mean, it's an explosion of understanding for us. An explosion of of knowing Christ the way that He wants us to know Him. And so while these gifts of knowledge and prophecy are in their partial sense, Paul says they'll be done away with because you will no longer need them. They will be abolished. Charles Hodges says that the revelations granted to the prophets imparted mere glimpses of the mysteries of God. When those mysteries stand disclosed in the full light of heaven, what need then are there of glimpses? A skillful teacher, he says, may by diagrams and models give us some knowledge of the mechanism of the universe, but if the eye be strengthened to take the whole universe at a glance, what need is there of a planetarium or a teacher? Can you imagine to be able to see the universe as a whole and to know that when Christ comes again, we will be able to see as we've never seen before and to know Him in the full, complete sense that He wants us to know Him. And so that's what Paul means in verse 10, that the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. The partial will be done away with. Now we can interpret the partial, or the excuse me, the perfect uh, comes. The partial will be done away with, and we can interpret the perfect as one of two things. It's safe to interpret the perfect as Christ coming again, or you can interpret it as His kingdom coming. Either way, they both speak to the same idea: is that Christ is ushering in His kingdom. You could take that as a, a, a sense in which He is speaking of Christ Himself coming and the partial is done away with. Or you can think of this temporally as a time when the consummation of His kingdom comes, which also is perfect, that Jesus Christ is ushering in either one, I think is acceptable. What I don't think is acceptable is how some interpreters try to use this verse to solidify their interpretations of spiritual gifts. Okay, Now, we're going to get into the, the details of spiritual gifts and, and maybe you don't even line up on either side of are the miraculous spiritual gifts still available today or not. Okay, So let me give you just a quick primer. There's two main views. There's a cessationist view and there's a continuationist view. Cessationist view believes that the miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing... Those have done, been done away with at the time of the apostles. When the apostles passed away, that age passed away, the church no longer needed those things. Continuationist view is that those gifts are still being used today. And you can see evidences of these two ministries in churches all over the world. Okay, You have people still speaking in tongues. You have people saying that they're healing people, so on and so forth. What is... Inappropriate, in my opinion, 
is to try to use this verse to prove those views. Because it doesn't do it. Paul wasn't trying to speak on those issues in this verse. Now, let me tell you why. Some interpreters want to say that the perfect that comes and does away with the partial, they would say the perfect refers to the canon of Scripture. And they would say when the canon of Scripture was solidified, all the books of the Bible were solidified, the partial was done away with because the revelation of God was solid, it was firm, it was immovable, we didn't need these things anymore. The problem with that interpretation that cessationists use is that Paul would have never had that thought in his mind. He's not thinking about the canon of Scripture. The church in Corinth would not have been thinking about the canon of Scripture. So while we may have our certain views, and I will make a cessationist view and an argument, this verse is inappropriate to use because that's not what Paul was talking about. The perfect that comes is Christ and His kingdom. And in doing so, He ushers in a world of perfection in His kingdom forevermore. And that's what we long for. We long to live in such a time. We long to be complete when we struggle in our incompleteness. Right? We long to be perfect in ways that we are imperfect. When we look at ourselves in the mirror. And Paul gives us two examples, two illustrations to display this or demonstrate this. The first illustration is one of physical maturity. He says in verse 11, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child and reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. He's making the comparison. Being a child is what he is illustrating as the time in which we live now. All right? Our rationale, our thought processes, our understanding of things is incomplete. Just as a child, there's an immaturity there. But when our manhood comes, it is our maturity in Christ, and our full maturity in Christ does not come until Christ returns. Think about it. Remind yourself as a child of how simple you were, how illogical and irrational your thoughts were. I remember as a kid, believing with all the reality in my mind and my heart, running into the room where my parents were, crying, telling them that the Incredible Hulk was outside my window. And I believed it. And I was scared. And my parents were like, are you an idiot? No, they didn't say that. Why? Because I'm a child. And this is this impartial, uh, uh, immature mind cannot comprehend and understand what my mature manhood, still maturing, but my mature manhood now rationalizes and understands about reality. So this understanding of adulthood is our maturity when Christ returns, our perfection when we stand before Him and we are made whole. The second illustration in verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, he says, but I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known. 
Mirrors in the ancient world were not mirrors like we have today. They were typically polished metal. And I love the word that Paul uses, the idea that the mirror is dim. There's not a great reflection there, but for them it's a reflection. Wow, I can see myself in this polished shield or this polished piece of metal. I can see my reflection. I can look back upon myself, and yet the reflection is not the real person. It's just an image. And Paul is saying the difference is that the reflection is only partial to the reality of the real person. The person standing there so that by understanding now about Christ and all that He has revealed Himself is partial compared to the completed face-to-face encounter by which we will have when we stand before Him in all His glory. Man, this is what we long for. This is what we hope for. I hope this is your hope. I pray this is your hope. Man, that, that, the, that the world of evil and sin and, and degradation will be done away with and we will once again stand before Christ in all His perfection and literally unconditionally be standing in our perfection because of Christ. That's what He's giving us. That's, that's what He's bringing to us. So that is our focal point. Fixing our eyes on Christ. Jesus, the, the author and finisher of our what? Of our faith. This is what we long for. We stand looking at our reflection now, church, but it's not the end. Understand and know that your imperfections will be completed in Christ because of His power and because of His glory. When I think about being a human being in this world, when I think about my family, when I, when I think about my dad recently, when I see him suffering physically, when I see him not being able to do the things that his body used to allow him to do, man, it makes me long for the resurrected body. Right? The resurrected body. Maybe you struggle to stand up or struggle to play sports or struggle to do things that your body used to be able to do and, and it helps you focus on, on the day when your body will be renewed. But let me, re, let me remind you of what Paul tells us at the end of our uh, first uh, letter to the Corinthians. He says, I, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable. Our bodies, which are perishable, must put on imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have, uh, but when this perishable will, will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now I want to stop right there. Because when we read that, our minds are focused on what? Our bodies, right? Because that's what he's saying. He's talking about the physical body. For a whole chapter, he's basically talked about it. But then he says, 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about something. It is natural, because we are physical, mortal beings in a mortal, physical world, to focus on the resurrection of our bodies and forget to meditate more fully on the, the, the amazing encounter that we will have with Christ. In other words, our bodies will be renewed, but it's our spirits. It's our, it's our understanding of Christ that should be the apex of our worship. Yeah, we get, we get more bodies. Yes. Praise God. But to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus, to know Him fully, now listen, I don't believe with many other theologians, I don't believe that what we are given in heaven is omniscience. Okay? We will not know everything. Okay? What we will know is Christ as He wants us to know Him. And that in itself is already impartial. We cannot understand Him fully as He wants us to understand Him fully. But to think that we get to heaven and know everything is literally to declare that we will be God. And that is not true. We will never put on omniscience. We will put on full knowledge. And that is a gift that Christ will give us so that we can revel in Him. So that we can celebrate and enjoy Him forever. And that should be our focus, church. Not just the physical change. It will be glorious. But the spiritual change to know and understand our Lord and worship Him with maturity and knowledge in ways that we struggle on this earth to do. I know that I struggle day by day with the written Word of God and I I see and hear and understand your struggle as well. And to gain that insight, to be given that gift, is far greater than anything that this earth provides us, even gifts of the Holy Spirit that we oftentimes can elevate above the spiritual graces that God gives us. We make them divisive. We make different earthly things divisive when our focus could be on Christ and to know Him fully. So Paul concludes this promise for us. This promise of the future with a solid statement about the time in which we will, that love will reign supreme in heaven. He says in verse 13, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Notice the triad there. He went from prophecy and tongues and knowledge, which are not on Paul's radar is important, to the real valuable tools and, and, and necessary components of eternity, faith, hope, and love. The triad of God's grace for us. Now there's argument as to why would we need faith and hope in heaven? Why would we need those things? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, Paul tells us that hope is just not for this world, it's for the world to come. If it's just for this world, we, are, we should be pitied, he says. 
But no, faith and hope and love will all exist in eternity because they are all components of a changed and transformed heart and life that we are given in Christ. It is our identity. Our identity. It is the very way in which God has made us. And in that renewal of our bodies that we long for, and in that perfection which we long for, we will still have a hope and a... uh, a faith and a love in Christ. And so we should be people of hope. We should be people that are celebrating and worshiping all that Christ has accomplished in us, bringing us to a point where He will bring it to completion. And in doing so, we will worship Him. We will celebrate Him, and we will, as I said, enjoy Him forever. This is the kingdom of love that God promises us that He will fulfill. Will you pray with me? And we're going to move and transition to the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank You for Your grace. 